Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Truth to Faith podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Steven. Before I welcome our guest, I want to ask anybody, hit the follow button on Spotify. You could watch the video on Rumble at Truth to Faith. Um, you could check out my Instagram, Truth to Faith, or you can check out my Facebook, Cliff Truth to Faith. Today, we got a great guest. Um, he wrote a couple books, Judgment of the Nephilim, The Final Nephilim, I love this topic. Ryan Peterson. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm good. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, man. I know you're super busy and you do, you're on the podcast circuit, so I really appreciate your time. All good. All good. So uh, before we get into the book, could you talk about how you became a Christian and when? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, so, you know, I was uh, born by God's grace into a Bible-believing home. You know, I grew up in New York. I'm a born and raised New Yorker. I, I, I live in Texas now, but I still definitely, New York is my my home. And, um, you know, I was blessed to have a mother who was not just a Christian, but a Bible student of the Bible, a teacher of the Bible. So growing up, you know, the Bible church, the Bible was no different than school. You're going to school every day. You're going to read the Bible and you're going to church. It was like no different. And so I always talk about myself as an easy believer. I, you know, I read a lot of books when I was young. I love to read. And it was very apparent to me, even as a preteen, as a child, that the Bible was supernaturally inspired. And um, so that's so I, I just always felt that way. And um so I really grew up going to church as a Christian and as a believer and didn't really have many obstacles in terms of my faith. You know, I asked a lot of questions like, why did God flood the world? Why were there wars in Canaan? Things like that. But I never really had a time, you know, from the time I was really even approaching teenage years where I really doubted the the true divine inspiration of the Bible as the word of God and Jesus as our savior. So um, so my story is very simple. You know, it's just a story of a really a, a God-fearing woman doing the work of the Lord and making sure her sons go to school and believe in Jesus Christ. So that's kind of like how I came up. No, that's great. Um, I'm a Boston guy, so I'm a Red. I, I used to be a Red Sox guy, but now that I kind of see how the world works, sports. I really don't love sports like I did. But yeah, back yeah. in the day, I don't know if I would have been able to talk to you if you're a Yankees <laughs> fan. But you know, my. I got to God in a, a different way. Um, I had a really tough upbringing. You know, there was yeah. a lot of alcohol and drug abuse in the home, a lot of bad stuff. And, you know, the one thing my mom did sign me up for um, Catholic church. So I, I knew of God. And then yeah. when things got bad, that's all I had. You know, I had no right. one to turn to. And when things would get bad in the house, you know, I, I just instinctively went to God and that kind of, you know, began to get me close to God. And, you know, then I was like a part-time Christian. I only went to him when things were tough and, you know, but something happened three years ago and that was it. And now I'm with God. I read the Bible. Amen. Um, Amen. I was getting super stressed about the future and, you know, my daughter had asked me if could you could I do anything where you wouldn't love me? And I go, you can do things. I'd be disappointed, but I'd always love when God. I heard God whisper, "That's how I love you." And when Amen. I realized that, it changed yeah. my life drastically. So I'm glad your mom taught you. I, I'm teaching my daughter about the Bible, and 
you know, it's it's a good thing. I think all parents should teach their, their kids about the Bible, especially in this tough world. Definitely, man. And you know, that's a, that's a beautiful testimony you have for yourself and for your daughter, right? Because she'll talk, she'll tell these stories one day, you know. And the thing too that you that, you, that we have in common is when you mentioned, you know, seeing how every time you had a challenge, a rough issue, you went to God. Like for me, you know, every, I saw that through through my mother that like we went through some hard, hard times when I was very young. And it was just no question. We're going to huddle up and we're praying as a family. You know, we're going to pray. God will deliver us. And it was that constant faith through every challenge that um, really had a big impact on me. And so so I think that, you know, that's and, and we know that, right? God brings these tribulations into our life to bring us closer to him. Right. To make, you know, when we cry out to him, that's when he can work with us. And so. Uh, we definitely have that in common because that's that made a big, big impression on me because, you know, I'm like, you know, even now I look back and I'm like, wow, you know, we went through some things and my mom, it was just ne- it was no matter what was happening. It was always going to be we're going to God. God will bring us through this no matter what. And so that's that's a powerful that's a powerful way to grow close to the Lord. Amen. So um your books, what what got you, what inspired you to write um, The Judgment of the Nephilim and The Final Nephilim? Was there something that caught you that you were like, you know what, I'm diving deep into this. I want to know about it. I'm going to write a book. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, God really smacked me in the face, basically. So, you know, I was uh, I had going to law school. You know, I went to law school. I was practicing law in New York City. And, you know, at that time in my life, it was a very funny time because, I was on top of the world. You know, I was a young single bachelor working in Wall Street, making a lot of money, single, no, not a care in the world. And um, and it was the farthest I ever was in terms of being just from the faith. It was, and I felt very spiritually empty. And so I really kept thinking to myself, I'm like, this can't be all there is to life. Like I achieved everything I wanted to achieve from a, from a worldly standpoint. And, but I wasn't doing anything for God. I wasn't serving in any capacity. I mean, I believed I still went to church, but I wasn't actively working, doing the work. And, um, you know, I was a political science major in undergrad. I was always into politics. And so God, again, I had been studying the Bible and reading the Bible all my life, but I was never really that much into prophecy. I was like, you know, I read Revelation, but I was never really a student of prophecy but I was a student of politics. And when God opened my eyes to some of the, some, some of the websites at that time, this is going back about 15 years ago that were end time Bible prophecy websites that were showing how world politics are converging with Bible prophecy. That it's basically the headlines you're seeing are actually, you know, in scripture that really, it just blew me away. And I, and I just started like probably like you and many of your listeners going down all these rabbit holes of just researching, watching YouTube videos on one world government, uh, RFID chips, all, all these things, right, that, that relate to Bible prophecy. And I started buying a lot of DVDs. And again, this is a, a 15 years ago, so when people still watch DVDs, I bought a ton from, from a ministry called Cutting Edge. And, um, and they had on all these different end times topics. And and I knew nothing about Genesis 6, but there was a, I had bought some package of DVDs where included was a DVD called The Nephilim Among Us. 
And it was just a guy at a whiteboard with a red magic marker. It was a very simple, no effects, no music. He's just, and he's just writing Genesis six, sons of God, daughters of men, and making explaining it biblically. And it just blew me away because I didn't have that understanding. And once I saw that, I was like, you know, this is, you just see the entire Bible in a new light. And then it was like everything that God had done in my life in terms of training me, like I was, again, I did a lot of research, political science major. I was a debater, making arguments, making a case, then going to law school and learning how to put things together. I just started researching more and more into it. It all took over. And, you know, my wife, Erica, I, I would research all night in the morning until, hey, you know, I found this. And I, and I felt like not only is this a great topic, but I was like, there's a lot of things in the Bible that I'm not seeing people talk about. I'm like, this is like the story of the whole Old Testament. And at first she said, you know, you should do a blog about this. And I did a blog. And again, this is a long time ago. And I started finding so much information. She was like, you know, you can make a book out of the whole thing. And, and, and what I really found also was that once I started digging into the church of yesteryear, of the 1800s, 1700s, all the way back to the first century, the church fathers, this was the definite understanding of the church, that angels, fallen angels, married human women and had a hybrid offspring, the Nephilim. Like that, was the, the, that was the common understanding, and we've lost that in the last century. And so it, it was really kind of a process where I felt like God was revealing so much, and I could bring, because I never really want to write something unless I'm going to bring something new to the table. And I was like, you know, we need a book on this topic that one shows how it runs through the Old Testament right to the, the birth of Christ, which is what it's all about, right? Stopping the birth of Christ, but also that you can make the case for this just in the Bible alone. You don't even need to go to any other book. And the other books are fine, apocryphal texts and all that, but just on scripture alone, this is what the Bible clearly says happened in the days of Noah. And so that kind of is how the ball got rolling. And then, uh, you know. Five years later, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So I heard you on another podcast um, and you were talking about when you were writing the book, because like you know, and I know the devil really doesn't mess with us when we're sinning. But once we're trying to walk with God and do his work, then the spiritual battle comes. So I, I heard you on another podcast that when you were writing it, you, you had some spiritual warfare going on. Would you talk about that a little yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it really, especially as I got close to finishing the book, it was really the, the, the toughest time in my life, basically since I was a child, right? Uh, and um, and whether it was um, attacks on my health, on my physical health, on my mental health, on my marriage, you know, there were so many things happening where it was that where it was like at every turn, I felt like the devil or the fallen angelic realm, the devil's minions or the devil himself were trying to stop me um, from getting this book done. And and the 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 blessing in all that was that finally, you know, um, at a certain point, my wife said, you know, we we she said to me, she said, you know, this is a spiritual attack. Like she's like, we got to step back and realize if things are good when we we have to like hold it together because we're under the our home is under spiritual attack. And so, um, yeah, it was it was a really, really, really tough time. And and, I, and even even sleeping like for a long time, I couldn't for months, I couldn't really sleep. I was sleeping like, you know, probably an hour to two hours a night, 
working a full-time job, writing four hours at night, taking care of two, taking care of two kids. It was, it was a really um, tough time, but I, I remember I just told myself and uh, I, I didn't say this to my wife cause I didn't I'm get her upset, but I said, you know, but I said to myself, I said, I don't care what this does to me. I don't care if this, if, if this debilitates my body to where I can't even function and stand anymore, I'm going to get this book done. Cause I, cause the good thing was at every challenge, God would give me a revelation in another chapter of the book where I just knew that God was guiding it. So it's like, as the enemy was battling against me, God kept giving me so much information or leading me to find a source that has some amazing confirmation about something about the Nephilim that it just kept me going. I just felt like God kept saying, don't worry, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, you know, stay in the fight. And so, uh, so yes, yeah, so that, that's, what, that's what I did. And um, by, again, by the God's grace, uh, by the grace of Yahweh, uh, the book got published. Amen, brother. So for my listeners that don't know, what are the Nephilim and how they get here? Yeah, sure. So the Nephilim are the half fallen angel, half human hybrid offspring of fallen angels that were born during the time, what we call the days of Noah, the time of Noah's Ark, Genesis chapter six, primarily. And so the easiest way to understand like where, what they are, that's what they are, but why were they there is it really goes back to Genesis chapter three, right? So we, most people know the garden of Eden and most people know Noah's Ark, right? So garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And obviously we have the first sin of Adam, the first and the, the sin of Eve to eating all the, 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 the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what the, the critical thing there was that when God, punishes Adam, punishes Eve, he also punishes the devil, the serpent. And he announces to the devil that not just that he's going to be punished and defeated, but how he was going to be defeated in the end. Excuse me. This is called what I call the ultimate prophecy. In theology circles, they call it the Proto-Evangelum, the first gospel, when God said that he's going to put enmity or war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. It says that this seed is a child was going to actually destroy or crush the head of the serpent and defeat the devil. And so what I try to explain in Judgment of the Nephilim is that announcement that the Messiah was going to come, the first announcement of Jesus Christ coming and what his mission, his ultimate mission, you know, from the fallen angelic perspective, from the perspective of the enemy, that was shocking that a child, a human child was going to be born one day who would have the power obviously divinely given divine power to actually defeat the devil. And so that set this, that set the stage for the, for the, the, the next, the course of human history throughout the Bible. Cause now what the devil was trying to do was either destroy this Messiah, prevent him from being born or corrupt humanity so that the Messiah could never come. A human Messiah couldn't come. And that's the purpose of the Nephilim is that they were what I call Satan's nuclear attack nuclear strike on human genetics it was an attempt to say okay if we can introduce fallen angelic dna into the human gene pool we can corrupt humanity to the point that we're no longer even human and therefore a human savior can't be born and the god's plan of salvation would be stopped so so the fall so the fallen angels and the nephilim are two different things the fallen angels got kicked out of heaven they made it with women and that those are the nephilim 
Correct. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it. And for those who are tracking in your Bible, again, this is in Genesis 6, and it says that when men began to multiply on the earth, this is the sons of God. And that's the key term there, that term in Hebrew, Benaiha Elohim, which is a reference to angels, says they saw the daughters of men, human women, that they were fair, they were attractive, and took wives of them all which they chose. So these were the angels it's a faction, right? We're told in the Bible that one third of the angels in heaven rebelled with Satan. Out of that one third, a smaller group came down to earth when Noah was alive in, the, in, the, in those days of Noah and took and married human women and literally had children with them. So they were angels, but the Nephilim were their, were their hybrid offspring. Okay. Could you could you um talk a little bit about the divine council? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's a great, that's a great, that's actually a great proof of how we know, right? How do we even know that the sons of God, how do we know those are actually angels? Because for many people uh in the church will say, hey, the, the sons of God were just godly men. They were just good human men. Well, the divine council, which is a term that was coined by Dr. Michael Heiser, the late Dr. Michael Heiser would died early this year he you know brilliant researcher and and scholar basically said that that god will meet and hold meetings or councils in heaven with all with angels both good and fallen angels and this is how we can know that the sons of god in genesis 6 are angels and not human men is that we see that term benaiha elohim which is used for sons of god is only used in the Old Testament, which of course is in Hebrew, the New Testament is in Greek. In the Hebrew, it's only used to refer to angels. And we see two examples of this with divine counsels in Job chapter one and Job chapter two. In Job chapter one, it says there was a day when the sons of God, Benaiha Elohim, came and presented themselves before the Lord and Satan was with them. So this is clear that we're not talking about humans. This is not a human location on earth. It's at the throne of God in heaven. And it says the devil was with them. And God speaks to the devil and says, hey, where, you know, where have you come? Where you come from? And he says, going to and fro in the earth. So not only can the devil travel through the earth, he can still go to heaven and talk to God before his throne. And of course, as it goes on, God says, have you considered my servant Job? And that's where the whole book of Job develops. Like they basically enter this kind of wager to say, because the devil says, you know, if, if I take all his material goods, if I take his money and his wealth, he'll curse you. He doesn't really believe in you. He doesn't really love you. And so they get into this whole competition, this challenge to see would Job remain faithful, which of course he did. But that idea of a divine counsel is that God will meet with his angels in heaven and oversee worldly affairs and make decisions and even give them limitations. You know, that passage is really amazing because we see that the devil has to operate within the parameters that God has set up for him. Because in the first chapter at the first divine council, God says, you can harm all his goods, his wealth, his livestock, his homes, but you cannot harm him personally. You cannot touch him. And of course, Satan goes immediately and just destroys all his wealth, his cattle, his children, his homes. But then in the next chapter, there's a second divine council. And yet there was another day when the sons of God presented themselves before the Lord and Satan was among them. And this time God says, well, now you can harm him, but you can't kill him. So even then, 
again, God's demonstrating that even the devil himself has to operate within whatever boundaries God gives him. And this is how this divine council operates, where God will permit certain things to take place uh, among his angels when they go down to earth and, and actually carry them out. So, wow, that's that's good to know. We still got, you know, God, things may be happening, but God's still in control. And that's a beautiful Absolutely. thing to hear. Amen. Amen. Could you talk a little bit about the supernatural interpretation? Yeah. So, so yeah. So this is, so the supernatural interpretation is that they, is it, what we're talking about, right? That what took place, this marriage was supernatural because you had angels marrying human women. And this is really important because again, what happened was once you got to the 20th century, the seminaries that were training pastors stopped teaching the supernatural interpretation. They said, rather than teaching what the Bible reveals, that these sons of God, the Benaitha Elohim, were angels, they said, no, these were just men. They were just human men, and this is just good men marrying pagan-believing women, and that was the problem. But the issue with that is, one, that's not what the Bible says, and two, it doesn't explain why their children, their babies, would be giants. And Nephilim, you know, and so one, it doesn't make any sense from what the Bible says, because the, the the product of this marriages were the Nephilim. But also, I think it hurts our witness. And the reason why is because, you know, when I said you're from Boston, I'm from New York, the Northeast, you know, there are a lot of people. I grew up around a lot of people, especially once I was an adult going out, meeting people, go to housewarming parties at people's homes or whatever it may be, where people know the Bible. They're not Christians. And they want to argue the Bible with you and why the Bible isn't true. And one of the biggest objections people will have to the Bible is to say, well, if your God is so good, why would he just flood the world and kill 99% of the population on the earth? Just wipe out everybody, the children, the babies and everything. And honestly, if you don't understand what the supernatural interpretation that what was taking place it wasn't God punishing the world, punishing humanity. It was God rescuing humanity, right? We were on the we were on the verge of extinction. If you don't understand that, I don't think you can really explain why God flooded the world and not make God look evil, right? Absent understanding what really took place, and and we get even further confirmation of this when we see Noah, who's introduced, because it says Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And I explained that that term in the Hebrew, perfect in, gener in his generation, that perfection, it wasn't moral. It was that he was physically perfect. It says tamim, that he was filled without blemish. The same term for a sacrificial lamb that has, has to be tamim, without blemish. And I believe that's because he was still human, 100%. His genetics weren't tainted yet, so he could be chosen to restart the earth, to reboot humanity after the flood. And so... This is why I think the supernatural interpretation is so important. It's not just that we, it's great that we can study the Bible and understand it, but this is a big, to me, a big blind spot right now. If you don't, if you can't explain Genesis 6, you can have a big challenge witnessing to someone who's saying, hey, explain to me why your God would do this. And, but yet, and you claim your God to be loving because there's no other explanation that makes sense except understanding that the, that the devil was trying to literally exterminate humanity and God had to bring the flood 
to end that attack on our genetics and save us and our chance, our last chance for redemption. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more because you do, you hear that all the time. If your God's so good, why were they wiping out whole towns and villages and children? It's because they weren't human beings. They were mixed with the Nephilim. That's why he was sending them out to wipe them out because they, they weren't human no more. They were, you know, mixed they were half breeds they were with the nephilim exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah and um could you talk a little bit about uh tublicane and the his sister absolutely so yeah so that's what i call the uh the first family of the nephilim and this is the this is the amazing thing too is that you know the bible is the only source you're going to find that I believe identifies exactly who was the first bride of the fallen angels. And so I think it's identified in Genesis chapter four. And there you see the lineage of Cain. Cain, of course, the first son of Adam and Eve. He killed his brother Abel. He was banished. He was not a believer. And I believe, and you go seven generations from Cain and you get to Lamech. And of course this, there's, this, this Lamech is not the Lamech who was Noah's dad. This is this is the Lamech who was the descendant of Cain. And it's amazing when you see the little details in Scripture because what it says is, and I call this a special reference, that, you know, when you go through a genealogy in the Bible, you know, in, in one verse, you might have three generations, four generations described, or two generations. It just breathes through them. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, and so on. And... However, there are certain people, certain infamous figures in ancient history where the Bible is going to give three, four, five verses just about one person. And what I try to explain is what the Bible is telling us, what God is telling us is this person is very significant. You know, slow down and pay attention because there's something significant happened with this person in this generation. And so when we get to Lamech, the descendant of Cain, there are six verses devoted to describing his generations, to talking about him. And what we see is, one, he was the first polygamist on record. He had two wives, Ada and Zillah. And it says he took two wives unto him. It's the same Hebrew term that we see in Genesis 6 for the fallen angels when it says they took unto them wives of which all they chose. So, one, he wasn't following God's plan for marriage. This is one, one man, one woman, eternally cleaved forever uh and then two he he boasts about killing someone to his wife so again this guy was evil he was not on god's program at all and then what we see is it doesn't just describe one of his sons in his genealogy it describes three of his sons and they in that generation among his sons we see this technological explosion his son uh jabal it says was the father of tent making and animal husbandry tending for cattle sheep how to make you know ma mass produce animals on a farm basically jubal was the father of instruments and music he invented instruments the jubilee in hebrew in in the old testament is based off of his name right and so and then you have tubal king he says tubal king was the uh he basically the father of blacksmithing First person to figure out how to forge metal to make weapons, tools, all this technology in one family. And uh, and then you get this very interesting detail where it says, and the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. 
And what I try to demonstrate and explain is that not only this family was where the, the devil found his target, where the fallen angels who came and took wives, they, they went to this family first and exchanged. It was basically a trade. It was an exchange of divine knowledge for their sister's hand in marriage, Nama. And of course, Nama in Hebrew means beautiful. And we see in Genesis 6, it says they saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, that they were beautiful. And I believe that this was this is where this was ground zero for the first Nephilim, that Nama was the first wife of a fallen angel and the first mother of a Nephilim giant. Wow. So, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So if that was happening then, you know, it makes you wonder, is it still coming into current times like the Germans? Um, you know, they had all this technology and they had this society called the Vril Society and they talked to aliens, which probably were Nephilim. And they, you know, they blew past us in the rockets. And, you know, it makes you wonder, is that stuff still going on? Are people, certain families in the Cain bloodline still communicating with these Nephilim and getting technology? You know, it makes you wonder. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's the thing, obviously... Adolf Hitler, right? Evil, obviously, you know, one of the most evil people to walk the planet, mass murderer, racist, but also an occultist, a high level yep. occultist. He was, you know, the Nazis were super into the cult. You mentioned the real society. They were constantly doing rituals. Um, they built a whole castle just for rituals in Germany uh, to access the spirit realm. And I believe that's how they were able to get ahead you know, from a technology standpoint, right? Like it's again, all about what I call get, you know, piercing the veil, the veil that separates the heavenly realm, the spirit realm from the earthly realm. And that's what these rituals are for, right? Trying to access the spirit realm without God. And I think that, that they were definitely trying to do that. And even the idea, right, of the master race, right? It's all goes back to genetics, right? In, in the days of Noah, it was creating a hybrid being that was a superhuman, right? It says they were the men of renown, the demigods of the Nephilim were the demigods in ancient times. You can think of Achilles, um, Perseus, all these beings from mythology who are half human, half God. It was it was all based on the real days of Noah, that these beings really were the demigods. And that's exactly what Hitler is trying to make. The Ubermensch, the Superman, this evolved superhuman man through genetics you know by trying to trace a bloodline that could lead to that and so yeah it's definitely like you said the more things change the more they stay the same and it, or, or as jesus said as it was in the days of noah so shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man amen yep um so when nephilim die are the other nephilim like when they got killed did they turn into demons Am I confused on that? No, you're not confused at all. That's exactly what happened. And so the demons that we see all throughout the Bible, right? That when Jesus is on earth at his first advent, there are demons everywhere. Those demons are the spirits of the Nephilim. And this, again, is where I think the traditional church understanding, you know, a lot of the modern church shies away from the supernatural all the time. And it's very easy if you go to just a, a kind of a more traditional contemporary church that's just not getting into these topics. They'll just talk about fallen angels and demons as if they're the same thing. And they're not. Fallen angel and a demon are very different in scripture. And so I really 
you know, really trying to provide all the biblical evidence because that's how you can understand what happens to the Nephilim when they die. And I talk about the fact that a fallen angel has a body, right? Angels have physical bodies, right? Angels can fight people. Uh, when Abraham had two angels and Jesus come to his home, he fed them. They he had his servants wash their feet. They ate. Ooh, so they have a physical body, right? When the uh, the Israelites were in the wilderness during the Exodus and ate the manna from heaven, in the Psalms, it says, man did eat angels' food. So the Israelites were literally eating the food that angels eat in heaven. So you think about that, right? We can eat dog food and get sick, but our angels' body and physiology is close enough to a human's that we can eat their food and they can eat our food. So whereas a demon uh, doesn't have a body, right? They're constantly searching for a body, right? Jesus said that they go through dry places searching for a home. And uh, even how we approach and speak about angels, right? The Bible says that even the archangel Michael, when he was standing before the devil, before God's throne in divine counsel, with the devil standing for God's throne, he says he wouldn't even make a direct accusation against him because he had to respect him. Even though he was fallen, he still had to, there's still a level of respect for that angels get, right? Even Paul, Paul calls them principalities, powers. He still calls them by their traditional titles of respect, whereas demons are called filthy, unclean. People just, you know, people, you know, people who are godly people can just command demons no problem and have them come out of people. Um, so there's a big difference. And the, and, and the reason why is, again, is because the demon is that spirit of a dead Nephilim. And what I show, too, is, you know, um, th this is why in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you know, I show that, you know, when Jesus waged war in Canaan, when the, the Israelites waged war in Canaan, that it was that Jesus was fighting against the Nephilim with the nation of Israel, wiping them out. Time after time, it was the angel of the Lord, which I believe was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ fighting those wars in Canaan. And then you get to the New Testament. So now the Nephilim are being killed and their demonic spirits are hovering on the earth. You get to the New Testament and the demons know exactly who Jesus is. When they yeah. see him, they know they say, we know who you are. You are the Christ, the son of God. And they're scared to death of him. They're saying, don't punish us. Do not punish us. Spare us. Save us. Save us. And so... um. That's because he's the one who, who killed them in the first place. So, yes, they are the uh, spirits of the dead Nephilim. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I, I just was talking with somebody and I said that, like, you know, the people didn't want to believe Jesus was who he was, at least the Pharisees and stuff. But the demons, you know, they knew who he was. They were petrified of him. They didn't want to be around him because they knew he had all power over them. And, yeah, no, I love that. And one thing, like, you know, Sleepy Christians, you know, they live in this bubble. You know, I know we're all sinners. We're all guilty of stuff. But, like, they don't see the world supernatural. Like, I listen. I like Bigfoot. I, I liked him since I was little, but I have a more understanding now that it's some type of either demon or some type of demonic being. You know, and I hear these people on these uh, Bigfoot podcasts, and they're like, no, you just got to welcome them in. And they're praising them. And then all this stuff starts happening at their houses. And it follows them across states. I'm like, that doesn't sound like, you know, some lost, you know, gorilla in the woods. That sounds like a demonic entity. 
You know, and yeah, I, yeah. I think people yeah. need to wake up to that, that there are supernatural creatures. There, there are, right? And if you think about it too, right? It, again, you know, look at look at the the the, the demon possessed man at the Gardarines, right? Where Jesus speaks to this man and he says, and speaks to the, he's speaking to the demons that are possessing the man, and they says, "My name is Legion, for we are many." And of course, you know, a Roman legion with six thousand soldiers, right? So this guy has thousands of demons in his body, and when Jesus cast them out. They beg him. First, they beg him. They say, don't send us to the abyss, which is where their fathers, their angelic fathers are now in prison, right? That's what Jude tells us, that the, the sons of God who fathered the Nephilim in the days of Noah, they are imprisoned. They are lo locked in chains in the abyss. So they know about the abyss, and they know that's where their fathers are. And Jesus puts them in pigs, right? He casts them into swine. So we can see already that a demon can possess an animal. Right. So the thing you think about what might happen from that, right? That man who was possessed by the legion of, of demons, they said he was he was he was in chains and he was breaking chains. You know, he had superhuman strength, right? From the demons, the demonic power inside of him. So I think it could be the same thing in the animal. So Bigfoot could be a creature that is now inhabited by a demon that, you know is now super naturally enhanced that he looks like a you know seven foot eight foot tall hairy creature so um yeah so we we know that the idea of a creature being demonically possessed there's definitely a biblical basis for that absolutely um so we know like when there's war going on in the spiritual realm it tends to trickle down into you know our realm um what was my question? So, so when COVID hit, um, I feel like the veil thinned a lot. Like they played their hand a lot with COVID, and whether it had to do with the spiritual realm, it definitely seems like evil is way more bold now. Like in music videos at the Grammys, they they're being so bold now. They're not even trying to hide it. Do you have any opinions on that about COVID and all that stuff? Yeah, so I so I think when you look at Revelation, right, I I I have a kind of a unique position. It's not that unique, but but somewhat unique, right? Where I think that when you look at the seals of Revelation chapter six, right, that I think everything starts in terms of the rapture, the great tribulation. I believe the sixth seal, and I believe that the first four seals, really the first five seals have already been opened. I believe they were opened when Jesus went back to heaven 50 days after his resurrection, as we see him go back to heaven in the book of, in the book of Acts. And, uh, and this is why you see in Revelation 4 and 5 where it says God has this book and no one is found worthy to open the book in earth, in heaven, or under the earth. And that has to be before the resurrection because Jesus, of course, once he won the victory, he is worthy. And then he appears in heaven and says, the lamb slain appears in heaven. This says, no, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb has prevailed. And he's given this book and that, that seven sealed scroll. And he opens it at that time. That was 2000 years ago, basically. And so, so how does this connect to everything? Well, we see that the first uh, seal or the first horseman is, I believe, deception, spiritual deception, which is running wild in, in the earth, right? There's all sorts of, whether it's a, apostate Christianity, whether it's other religions that are false religions, whether it's the new age movement or the occult that's gained 
massive popularity. We're under massive spiritual deception, attacks of it right now. Then you have war and rumors of war. Obviously, that has ramped up in the last three centuries, the amount of bloodshed compared to the prior millennium. It's not even close. Then you have pestilence, right? Disease, wiping out huge parts of the earth. And I think that's where we talked about the pandemic. And so these are all the birth pangs getting us ready, right? It's the preparation for the Great Tribulation. And if you look at what happened in the world, a lot of this stuff is almost like a trial run for, for, for the enemy, right? As to what they can get away with, what can be implemented, what people will submit to. And then also the thing that was scary about that time uh, of COVID and the quarantine, aside from obviously the, the health issues was you had everyone home. So people were home and now, you know, you have people like you or myself or other people who, like I said, like your listeners who, or we were already digging deep into things, you know, late at night, watching YouTube videos. Now everyone's doing it. And there is yeah. so much deception that can come in depending on who you're listening to, who you're watching and what's influencing you. And that I think allowed open the door for the enemy to get more bolder. We're not, like you said, like the Grammys, you have people just coming up dressed as the devil. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think his name is Sam Smith, dre yeah. literally dressed as the devil, singing about the devil, you know, performing and, and all these things. And, you know, it's, in the, it's, it's, it's prophetic, right? It's the Bible tells us that times aren't going to get better. They're, they're going to get more evil. That evil men will be worse and worse. And that humanity will will want evil more than good as we get closer to the time of the return of Christ. So to me, that was like you said, almost that whole time period, 2020, 2021, just kind of accelerated it. Right. Because yeah. you had this very obviously a very we've never had a time like that in the last, at least in our lifetime, where everyone's the majority of the world is just literally home all 24 hours a day. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think it accelerated all these things that what the, you know what the Bible calls the birth pangs to what because and what's that being prepared for, right? Ultimately, um, you know, before Christ returns, there's going to be the kingdom of Antichrist. So the devil is preparing the world for his false Messiah, while God's preparing his the world for his true Messiah. But it's happening at the same time, and so that's yeah. what we're seeing. Absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I'm going to hit you with this, even though. So you, I heard you on my buddy's podcast. He's a friend of the show, Josh Monday. Have yeah, you checked out Biblically Flat Earth yet? Have you checked it out? Flat Earth. Have you, have you listened go. to his, um, his little thing on it? Have you checked it out yet? I have. I have. And so, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, shout out to Josh Monday. Uh, <laughs> very good guy. Strong Christian brother. Uh, love talking to him and his bro. Um, and yeah, and I actually had him on. So I was doing a show for most of uh 23, early part of 23. Uh, I was doing a Thursday, a show called Thursday Night Theology, where I, I had I answer questions, I get lots of questions, um, from subscribers, from readers. And so I pick a few questions and just answer them on air live. And every now and then I'd have a co host. So I invited Josh on to talk about uh, the age of the earth and the gap theory. And he jumped right into flat earth. And that was good. It was good. So he got to explain, you know, the ancient cosmology and uh, kind of explain his perspective on it. And um, so I am personally not a flat earther, uh, but I okay. do know, uh, I definitely, I definitely know where he's coming from and his points about it. Uh, 
so yes, we got we got to discuss it. So yeah, but I I I I am not a a flat earther myself. I must say. <laughs> all right, that's all right. I mean, you, you might get there. I, I got there. <laughs> I, I believe it because what when you dig into NASA and stuff, and you realize that space, you know, in my opinion, space is fake, and it's all part of the great deception, and aliens are going to come. I think if you dig into it long enough. I, I think you might see it, but I, hey, this has been so much fun. I, I thank you for your time, Ryan. Thank your wife for me. She's been great, and uh, I really appreciate your time. Sir, thanks for having me on, brother. Keep working for God. Um, this is awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Have a good night, and God bless you and your family. God bless. I'm not comfortable.